Good morning. Our scripture, the first scripture reading today comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 and 24 through 28. Elkanah and Hannah rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The men, Elkanah, and all his household went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the three-year-old bull, an an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli the priest. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is given to the Lord, and she left him there for the Lord. Our second scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 49. Listen for the word of God. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why, what has happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Thus ends the reading. This is already my sixth Sunday with you here at Neighborhood. I think you have figured out by now at least that uh, while I may have a few good points, I'm not a mother, which actually renders me unqualified to be here in the pulpit giving you a message on this particular day, Mother's Day. But I think I can, remembering my own mom who died five years ago 
On Mother's Day 2011, at the age of 95, I think I can sincerely wish you all a happy Mother's Day. I'm not saying, by the way, that my mother was the greatest mother. She wasn't, but she was at least average. <laughs> and I also know, I, I know that if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be here. I would not exist. And I might not be in this position right now because my mother prayed with me and my brother every night when she put us to bed. It took me a long time to realize what an incredible thing motherhood is. The physical human body can do a lot. I've just been reading about Lynn Cox. She set the women's and men's record for swimming the English Channel. And later, she swam the Bering Strait from the United States to the Soviet Union. A deep bow to Lynn Cox. But I have to say that I think there's something bodily even more extraordinary than Lynn's swimming and similar feats. And that is to conceive and to gestate within oneself and then to give birth to and to nurture another human being. And it happens every day all around us. Not every birth comes out happily, as you know. Some of us have been praying just this past week for little Jace Green, born weighing one pound, who passed away at the age of 12 days this past week. And Cindy, who's here today, is helping to be with and to minister to Jace's parents. But you know, most births do come out well. And I think, uh, I, I hope we all have felt what an incredible and amazing thing each birth is. There are some people who want kids, but who for whatever reason don't have any or can't have any. Some can't have their own biological children, but they adopt one or more, and God bless them, because where would the world be without adoptive parents? And then step-parents, loving step-parents. We just heard about one a few moments ago. And then there are some people who are called, who, who might like to have kids. Part of them really wants to have a child, and yet, they feel called to a life of renunciation of sex and family. And another bow to them. And I remind you that the human being we call our Lord and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, never was intimate with a woman and never had children. That was not, clearly not, part of his 
mission. Our Catholic brothers and sisters may take this astonishing fact more seriously than we tend to. You know, their clergy give up having kids, yet the priests are called father, and at least the nuns, some of them, the ones in authority, are called mother. And maybe this can remind us on this Mother's Day that the virtue of mothering is far wider and deeper than whatever happens in and through our physical bodies. It has to do with the deepest understanding and mirroring and nurturing of the young. And yet, what is more basic to humanity than the need and the drive and the desire to reproduce ourselves? Back in that ancient day, Hannah, for whatever reason, just could not get pregnant. She and obviously her husband Elkanah obviously wanted a kid, so Hannah prayed about it. She prayed so hard that the old priest Eli thought she was drunk. We're told, by the way, that Hannah specifically prayed for a male child. Why male rather than female? Well, males were preferable to females. And here, of course, we run up against the patriarchal setting of the Bible and indeed of all human history until the present era when patriarchy has at last begun to be called into question, when at last we have begun to recognize what, recognize what we should have recognized long ago, namely that females are every bit as wonderful and valuable and capable of males. You know that one of our women theologians has interpreted the creation of Adam and Eve in a new and original way. She says that when God created Adam, that was just his uh, first sketch of what, what he wanted. And, uh, but when, you know, when he was finished with Adam, he, he saw that that wasn't quite it. So then God got it right when he created, or she created Eve. Well, in terms of patriarchy, we've got a long, long way to go, obviously. We're still a long way from equal pay for equal work, and we still face huge and upsetting issues, including the widespread existence of things like sex trafficking, which preys on young women, and also the gigantic number of abortions performed for not good reasons, much more in places like India now and China than, than in the United States. The, child, the fetus is aborted because it's female rather than male. But is it or is it not true that we have at least made a beginning in terms of overcoming this patriarchal thing. Should we not be very grateful for the early Quaker women and then the Protestant suffragettes, many of whom were mothers, who secured the vote 
for women. There is now a woman, also a mom, who has a good chance to become President of the United States. Of course, she won't be the first head of state, uh, female head of state in the world. And there are men who are moving out of the way in order to let women show what they are capable of. My son-in-law, Dan Spencer, a highly successful professional as a Unitarian Universalist pastor, is now, for this stage of his life, a house husband and full-time father of the two children of Dan and my daughter Jordana, who is a senior manager with Price Waterhouse Cooper. All four are here today, along with my own dear wife, Sharon, who is stepmother to Jordana and Dan. Sharon, the mother of three biological children of her own, one of the best psychotherapists in Southern California, as her husband, who has been very close to her, can testify. <laughs> and I hope you meet them all after worship. Speaking of Jordana, she was named for the Jordan River in Israel. When she was born, her mother and I posted a notice of her birth in the elevator of the dormitory at Union Theological Seminary in New York, where we were living. When Hannah's son Samuel, who you know, Samuel, one of the very greatest figures in the history of Israel, when he was born, Hannah brought him to the temple and said to the old priest Eli, this is the child I prayed for. One of my fellow graduate students later approached me and expressed appreciation for the biblical reference on the notice in the elevator. She was Carter Hayward, a lesbian and one of the very first women to be ordained a priest in the Episcopal Church. Two other biblical women, Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, Zechariah and Elizabeth were, quote, getting on in years, and they had, had had no children. And that, according to Luke, was because Elizabeth was barren. How's that for an ugly word? Luke didn't know anything about male incompetence, incontinence. Who knows why they hadn't been able to have kids. But then she became pregnant. Meanwhile, her kinswoman Mary had had a visitation from on high telling Mary on good authority that she too was going to conceive. Luke tells us Mary went to visit Elizabeth and when Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's voice, she felt the child in her womb leap for joy as if already 
when he was a mere fetus, John the Baptist sensed who was coming into the world through Mary. What do you think? Honestly, sisters and brothers, how did Luke know all that? Do you think he made all that up? I don't. I think there's historical basis for it. But in any case, is there anything more wondrous than the feeling, the movement of a child in its mother's womb? Have you ever wondered what it was like when you were in the womb? I had a dream about that once. I can testify it's super being in the womb. In any case, now that we're moving, if fitfully, into an age of full equality between women and men, now that we can no longer restrict our language about God and our image of God to the masculine, would it not be helpful to conceive of God for a while as the womb of humanity? That can't be the whole story, of course. God is both male and female, but affirmative action in our way of speaking will mean that we favor female images and words for God for a while. We all come from God, not just in the sense of being created, but also in the sense of being gestated and nourished with the nourishment which makes our existence possible. Surely, Mary could have understood God as the womb of humanity. The church teaches traditionally that God himself slash herself, herself was conceived in the womb of this human woman, Mary. I think if we want to be feminists in the 21st century, we could do a lot worse than pay attention to Holy Mary, the Virgin Mother of God. A friend sent me a speech given by Sojourner Truth, the extraordinary African-American woman leader. Back in 1851, the title of the speech was, Ain't I a Woman? She speaks of the 13 children which she had borne and that most of them were sold off to slavery. She says, when I cried out with grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? And then she says, that little man in the black suit there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? From God and from a woman. You men had nothing to do with him. Guys, we had nothing directly to do with the greatest thing that has ever happened on planet Earth. Let's deal with it.
and happy Mother's Day to everybody. Amen.